Hello and a warm welcome. I am Armin Trost, Professor for Organizational Behavior at the Furtwangen University in Germany and this is my course on Social Research Methods. So, hello everybody, welcome back. We're still talking about research design. And in the last episode about research design, I was sharing with you some ideas how we differentiate different research designs. And one fundamental question was whether or not you manipulate your independent variable. When you manipulate your independent variable actively, then it could be a quasi-experiment or a real experiment, right? If you don't, then you might have something like a cross-sectional design. And I would like to start talking about this in this episode. And I would like to talk with you about different effects and about to what extent can we really say that the independent variable affects the dependent variable. So let's have an example here, okay? So let's go to the field of organizational behavior and let's assume a very simple study. We ask the people, how happy are you with your immediate supervisor? Your boss, your manager, your direct manager, the team lead or whatever. On a scale from zero, uh, totally pissed, <laughs> what an idiot, to 10, wonderful, congratulations. Really, it's so wonderful to work with this manager. Okay? You can imagine this. And the dependent variable is your flight risk. It's the question, to what extent you seriously intend to leave the organization voluntarily? Whether you want to quit, to put it shortly, right? Um, so we have these two variables. And what we very often do then, and then just to see, we do, not, we do not manipulate the independent variable. We just ask, how is it, right? So what we can do now is we can do a mean comparison or we can simply calculate a correlation. This is what we very often do. And then we see a correlation between happiness with supervisor and flight risk. Okay, this is what we do. Okay, so now here's the thing. When we do something like this and we find a high correlation, to what extent can we really, really say that the satisfaction with a supervisor really affects your flight risk? To what extent can we say this? And this refers to what we name internal validity. That's an important term, internal validity. To what extent can we really say that the independent variable affects causally the dependent variable? Is the independent variable the cause of the dependent variable? This is what, what we now think of. Okay, so now let's assume we have a high correlation. Can we really say so? The answer probably is no, we can't. It's just a, it's just a kind of indication. Okay, so okay. Following our hypothesis, we assume that we assume that satisfaction affects flight risk, but maybe it's also the other way around. Very often, this could be maybe flight risk affects how you see your supervisor. Can you imagine this? 
I mean, that, that sounds a little bit weird, but, but imagine this. Now you have a serious tendency to leave your organization. And with this feeling in mind, now you are, you are asked to, to, to judge your relationship to the manager. Maybe you say, hmm, why? I will leave anyway, so why should I like my manager? Uh, it may be not so obvious in this particular case, but, but sometimes it is. Okay, so with correlation, we very often do not know does one thing affect the other or the other the one thing. <laughs> so we simply can't know, and that's a that's a fundamental idea about correlation, and you really must take this home that correlation is not causality. Right? We we can say, for instance, I I shared with you this example already. Uh, let's say. We assume that the more happier the people are, the more happier are the customers. The more happy the, the employees are, the more happy are the customers. You find a correlation maybe, right? But maybe it's not that satisfaction uh, of employees lead to satisfaction of customers. Assuming that, yeah, when the employees are so happy, they work more, they work better, they deliver a better service, they go the extra mile, and then, as a consequence, the uh, customers are happy. Maybe it's the, the way around. When you find a correlation, seeing, okay, uh, cost, happy customers lead to happy employees. I mean, aren't you more happy when you see your customers are happy? Of course. So what's the direction? We simply don't know. With correlation, we simply don't know. Okay. Now here's the third thing. Um, sometimes, or very often, we have something like uh, uh, what we name a third variable. A third variable. That's a variable that affects both the independent and the dependent variable. And I, I like a, a, a specific example here. Uh, it's, it's a funny example. Uh, it's a classic. Uh, uh, imagine the following. You, let's look at different regions in a country, in Europe or Germany or wherever. Right. So you have different regions in a country. So now you have a look at two variables. One is, the I would name it the, the stalk density. It's uh, how many stalks are living uh, or per square mile, square kilometer, or whatever, right? There's a stork density. Stork density is high when there are many storks living there, right? So that's the independent variable. The dependent variable is the birth rate in a region. It's the number of babies that are born per, let's say, 100 women. Okay, so uh, we really know that there is a high correlation, really. So the more storks there are, the more children are born, really. So that absolutely supports the, the, the hypothesis that uh, the storks bring the babies, right? So it's, it's really true, really, it, it's true. No, no, it's true that there is a correlation, but you know, it's not true that the storks bring the baby, but still there's a correlation. So how could that happen? Maybe you can think of this. Um, yeah, there is a third variable. And that third variable is a question of whether a region is more rural, right, on a countryside or so, or whether a region is more urban, cities. Right? And what we know is that um, in rural areas, of course, you have more stalks. Right? You don't find too many stalks in a city. But on the rural area, you, you probably find stalks. Okay, we also know that 
uh, people who live on the countryside, people who live in rural areas, they have more kids. More babies are born in rural areas for many reasons, because people in rural areas have a different, uh, different values very often. They think differently about family and things. They very often are a little bit more conservative. Uh, they, sometimes they, they, they live on the countryside. They live in rural areas because they want to have babies and they think that it's a better idea to grow up children in, in, in a green environment, which is, which is not a bad idea, actually. So there is this, this third variable, rural-urban region, that affects both. Right? And when there is a third variable, as we name it, affecting both yeah, in a positive way, then you will find a correlation between the independent and the dependent variable. But you do not find this correlation because one affects the other. No, it's just, it's just a correlation. You know, it's a, so it, there is another reason why that correlation emerges. So it's very important that you, you keep this in mind. Okay? Sometimes we even have uh, something like, like a mediator. What is that? It's not that the independent variable affects the dependent variable, but the independent variable affects a variable, and that affects the dependent variable. We had this example with this. I, I, I shared this earlier in this, in this uh, entire series. Uh, we had this example of unemployment leads to a lower life expectancy. Well, yes, if you are unemployed, that changes your life that changes your nutrition, that changes your lifestyle, that changes uh, basically everything, right? And this everything uh, can affect your health. And, and your health can affect your life expectancy, as we all know. So it's not the unemployment that as such affects life expectancy. There is something in between, okay? You see that? I mean, it's, it's simple, okay? So what I really want you to take home here is that there are threats to what we name internal validity. Yeah? And these threats, they, they refer to alternative explanations to your initial hypothesis, even though you might find a correlation. Okay? So, a fundamental idea that you take home and you should not forget for the rest of your life whenever you do something like social research is that the world is incredibly complex, right? There are millions, billions of variables, forces, factors, things that are somehow interrelated. So the world is a very complicated system of interdependent variables and things, right? It just put it that simple, right? So it's a kind of uh, a, a, a network, right? Okay, so but what we very often do, or what you very often do in your, in your little study, is that you pick out two variables out of this complex thing, and then you just look at the correlation between these two variables. And then you might find a high correlation. Say, oh, yes, no, I know that this affects the others. No, it does, pro probably it does not. Because the two variables that you consider in your little study, they're just a, a little piece of overall 
extremely complex system. Okay? I, I really want you to, to, to keep this in mind. It's, it's, it's absolutely essential that, that, you, that, you, that you understand this. So, again, please, please be, don't be uh, too, too naive here. Okay? So, uh, to give you another example here, um, there is something that we name a gender equality par paradox. Uh, it's a very interesting study that I came across recently. Uh, it's, it's about two variables. Uh, there was a study uh, published uh, recently in 2018, and what these researchers did is they, they looked at different countries. So, so the, the the entities of this study were not people, not groups, but entire countries. Okay, so. Uh, when you look at different countries, there is a difference in what we name uh, 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 gender equality. And this is uh, mirrored through the Global Gender Gap Index. So there are, there are companies with, with uh, high Global Gender Gap Index. These are very often the Scandinavian uh, countries where women have equal rights, uh, women and men have equal rights. Uh, uh, these countries do everything that women and men have the same opportunities. Uh, you see women in government. You see women in everywhere. So it's 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 a it's 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 also a matter of culture, but also of politics and and structural uh, 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 framework conditions that you find in countries that that lead to a equal treatment of men and women. While in other countries it's completely different. In other countries, women are not even allowed to drive a car, or women are not allowed to to open a bank account, or women are not even allowed to vote. So maybe some sometimes you don't even have democracy. So anyway, so you see this difference. So this is one variable, gender equality, and the other uh, variable is um, how many women do we have in, in, in STEM fields? What, what is STEM? STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. Okay, so the technical, uh, uh, scientific uh, uh, fields. So, um, and we, we might assume that the higher the gender equality is, right, the higher the gender equality is, uh, the more women do you have in STEM fields. The more engineers do you have, female engineers, the more uh, female scientists do we have. And, and the thing is, when you look at these two variables and you, you, you calculate a correlation, you find a negative correlation, a strong negative correlation. It's, it's close to 0.5. Actually, it's minus 0.47. So that means the, the more equal, the more gender equal a country is, the less women you have in STEM fields. Okay, that's a very, very interesting study uh, when it comes to topics like gender equality or diversity. And it's, 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 it's named the gender equality paradox because uh, very often in our sometimes ideological debate about gender equality, we assume the exact opposite. Wow. Now, you might say, okay, Gender equality leads to less women in STEM. Wrong. Probably wrong. We cannot draw this conclusion about causality. We simply can't. It's, it's not allowed. No. You just can't say there's a correlation. And that's all. It's all that you can say. It's just a correlation. Right? right? What we can't say oh, probably is that the more women, the more women we have in STEM fields, 
science, technology, uh, engineering, mathematics, the more women we have there, uh, the less gender equal is a country. It's hardly to imagine, but probably there is something like a, a third variable, maybe. Well, for instance, we know that the more prosperous a, a country is, uh, the more wealthy the people are, the lower the economic risk is of the people and also of the women. Yeah? Uh, the more gender equality we have in a country, right? That, that might be the case. Yeah? And the more prosperous a country is, the less, the more women do what they naturally want to do. And, and maybe that's a dangerous explanation, I know, from an ideological point of view. But we know that, for instance, in, in, in countries like Algeria, right, very low in, in gender equality, we have most women in engineering, for instance. Why do they do that? Because they face economical risk and you earn more as an engineer. So if you have the intellectual capacity to study engineering, you better do it. Right? While in countries where we're all rich and we can do what we like, you can even study something like psychology, as I did. <laughs> you, you don't face an economical risk. My parents told me, okay, you can study psychology, but you will not earn much money. I would tell you, okay, they were wrong. But <laughs> yeah. And there, there's an, a robust, a robust uh, a finding that women have more preferences overall on tendency, not individual basis, but overall there's a tendency that women are more interested in, in people and, and men are more interested in things. So when you're more interested in things, you probably go more for, for engineering, uh, and science, and, and all the like. Okay, interesting, huh? Yeah. So that's, a, that's, a, that's a really a nice example, right? So um, the economic situation in a country might be really uh, a third variable. Uh, okay, could also be that global gender uh, gap index leads to more open opportunities for women, and, and, and I mean that's that's pretty much it's 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 the same, and, and that uh, affects somehow that less women go for 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 engineering because they prefer it, as I just outlined. Okay, so it's it's complex. Okay, so that's about cross-sectional design, for instance, when we simply correlate. Okay, but now let's look at quasi-experiments or, or so experiments that are kind of experiments, but, but not real experiments. So, uh, as I told you last time, a quasi-experiment is something, is a design where you manipulate the independent variable, but it does not fully meet all the requirements of, a, of an experiment, which is, again, you not only manipulate the independent variable, you also have a random assignment of the subjects to different conditions. You have an experimental group and a control group. Um, you have a double-blind situation. Yeah, these things. If you don't have all these things, very often you don't have them in the field, then you, we talk about a quasi-experiment. That's very often the best thing that we can do in practice. But once we have a quasi-experiment, so not a real experiment, but an experimentish <laughs> design, then there are uh, typical threats to internal validity that were wonderfully outlined by Cook and Campbell in their wonderful book, Quasi-Experimentation. And I would like to go through this. Uh, here we talk about history, uh, maybe there are some things that happen between the first measurement and the second uh, measurement. We 
got instrumentation, that might change. I'm going to show you some examples in a minute. Statistical regression is something we talk about, selection. So when we do not have a real random assignment, that could lead to some effects. Mortality, you might lose some subjects over the course of, of your experiment. That leads to some effects. So maturation, the people change, the subject change naturally between the first measurement and the second measurement. So there are some alternative explanations. I would like to share with you some, some examples. And it's very important that you understand this because also intellectually that, that's going to help you to, to critically review experiments you might read about. Okay, so here's a, a simple example. Um, there is base pay as an independent variable in a study, base pay. Okay, it's what, what people get on a, employees get on a regular basis, on a monthly basis very often. Not the variable pay, the base pay, right? It's a kind of a flat rate. And the dependent variable is turnover. Turnover, the turnover rate. So again, an example in the area of, of retention. So we have a design, uh, as we already learned in the last episode, uh, which is called the pre-test, post-test design, one group only. So here's the study. A company is facing a high turnover rate, whatever that means, 15%, let's say, okay? High turnover rate. 15% of the people leave the company voluntarily over the course of a year. I mean, let's say that that happened in 2019, so last year, okay? So now the HR director comes across and says, oh, we had to do something, we have to do something. Okay, let's increase base pay so that the people stay. Okay, stupid idea, but anyway... <laughs> That was, in that uh, fictitious example, that was the treatment. So people earned more money. And one year later, they had again a look at the turnover rate and, wow, it dropped to 10%, from 50% to 10%. Let's assume these numbers. They just pulled out of the air. Can we say that it was really the change of base pay? Was it really the, the salary increase that affected this change? In practice, very often we would do so. I mean, the HR director would stand on the stage and say, look, guys, hey, we're successful. We changed the turnover rate by just increasing base pay. How wonderful is that? Of course, no, we can't. We can't. Definitely not. Because why? Here comes the threat to internal validity that is named history. History means there might have been something else around the study that was changing. Maybe the labor market conditions changed. Maybe the economic situation did change. We know that in, in hard economic times, people have a lower tendency to leave, right? So maybe that changed also, right? So maybe there was a change around the study. So be careful. Huh? Well, here's another uh, example. Um, so we have a, a group of subjects, yeah, and... We want to train them on their cognitive capabilities. We could also name this intelligence. And the idea is, why, why, why shouldn't we try whether or not we can train intelligence? I mean, that's a fundamental question in psychology. Can we change intelligence through training? Okay, so, um, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a repeated treatment design. So there was an observation the measurement of intelligence, then there was a training, first training, then again measured intelligence, then another training, then measured intelligence, another training, then measure it a fourth time, again the fourth training, and then we measured the fifth time. Repeated treatment design. You measure 
you train, you measure, you train, you measure, you train. You do it over a period of time. Okay. And your idea is, okay, when intelligence could be changed through training, then intelligence should go up. And now let's assume in this particular study it actually did. Intelligence changed in a positive direction. Can we really say that intelligence changed? The answer must be again, no, we can't. Why not? We, there is at least this idea that maybe the subject, the people who, who participate in that study, did not increase their intelligence. Yeah? So what they increased is their ability to deal with this particular nature of intelligence test exercises. They, they got familiar with this kind of questions they are asked, with this kind of puzzles they have to solve intelligence. They got more familiar with that. They got trained on this particular way of dealing with intelligence. So what changed was not their intelligence, but the way how they react on the intelligence test. And that relates to instrumentation. See it? Huh. This is also something I, we were talking about when we were talking about measurement. This is what we name reactivity. The people change to the measurement tools that we use, right? <laughs> interesting, huh? Very interesting. Um, here is another, here is another nice, nice uh, threat to internal validity. Let's say uh, we look at revenue. Yeah? A company is generating revenue every quarter. So you track revenue yeah, every quarter. So over a long period of time. So, okay. so uh, now at one point of time, revenue was really low. So the company got nervous. Said, oh, what's going on? Revenue is down. Okay, now comes the, that's, that's the moment of the CMO, the chief marketing officer saying, hey, give me some budget. We're going to have some marketing campaign. Okay, let's do something. And then they do something. <clears throat> they do a massive marketing campaign. Yeah. Online, social media, TV, everything. So really invest a lot of money. One quarter later, revenue is up again. Yeah. Excellent. Now they celebrate it. Congratulations, CMO. You did a cool job. You saved our life with your marketing initiative. You really made it. The revenue to go up again. Wonderful. Cool. Yeah. That's great. So the dependent variable is revenue and the independent variable, which is actively manipul manipulated, yeah, um, is the, that's the marketing efforts, is the independent variable. Can we really say that now the change in revenue was really due to the marketing uh, uh, efforts? Again, no, we can't. Maybe history. But here is another thing that you, you have to consider it, have to consider, which is something that we name statistical regression. Things naturally change, always. This is in nature. 
That's nature. I mean, look at the temperature, the average temperature in different summers. Sometimes we have a hot summer, you have a cold summer, you have a medium hot summer. You, the, the temperature is always changing. Things in nature change. There is a natural variation over time, right? And the probability for a very extreme event is very low. We know this. I mean, it's a simply probability, right? Uh, the probability for extreme situation is low. That's why we name it extreme. So when you have extreme low revenue or extreme high revenue, how is the probability that one quarter later or a year, year later you have again an extreme uh, uh, situation? It's low because per se, the <laughs> probability for extreme values is low. So when you have a very extreme situation, Probability is very high that one quarter later or in the next occasion or one year later or however that the value is not as high as it was previously. So things naturally go back to normal. So to, to put it more simple. So this change of revenue in this particular example was not due to marketing. It just it went back to normal. <laughs> Because things change naturally. So... It was a natural, natural change, maybe, and not a change due to, to your so smart uh, uh, effort, really. Okay, here's a fourth thing. Okay, um, now let's assume we have a little study uh, where, we, where we want to measure. Um, we, want, we have a kind of student motivation program. That's nice. It's a program that you might have in a university to motivate your student. Whatever you do there, some chaka-chaka, I don't know, uh, a kind of a positive psychological thing about best possible self, whatever, right? So some measures where you really want to motivate the students. So you measure motivation in the beginning, then you do the motivation training, then motivation goes up, and you do another motivation training, again motivation goes up, then you do another training, and then again it goes a little bit better, and you do another training, and so motivation continuously goes up, uh, very strongly in the beginning, and then uh, slightly, you know, it flattens a little bit, so always you do your training measures in between, and now You might say, wow, look at this. We constantly do this motivation program and as an effect you can see motivation is going up continuously. What a great program. The program really works. You see it? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe the motivation went up not because, not because of your motivation program sometimes you lose students that happens in universities and you very often lose students in the beginning of their study because they realize that's not the right thing for them it was the same with me I once quit study I once studied engineering by the way never told you that I wanted to become an engineer in the second semester I quit and I then started uh, psychology My parents were not happy, I tell you. Okay, anyway, so in the beginning, students leave programs. I mean, the, 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 the turnover, so to speak, the proportion of students leaving a program in the beginning is very high. So who stays? 
Hmm? Who stays? Who are those who remain? A motivated one. <laughs> so it could be that motivation increases over time because you lose the unmotivated. So the motivated, they stay. And at the end, you have only the motivated left. Of course, motivation goes up. But not because of your damn motivation program. <laughs> but just because, yeah, you lost the unmotivated ones. And this is something that we name mortality. It sounds a little bit uh, rude. Mortality it does not necessarily mean that the students die. They just leave, okay? <laughs> Very nice. Okay, here's the last example. Uh, in management, there's something like we name it shop floor management. Shop floor management. I don't want to go too deep into this, but it's an idea that... that um, to put it very simple now, that uh, in a, in a, pro a production uh, facility and a company and a production plant, the employees meet on a regular basis somewhere and they talk about what so what do we do today, what are problems today, what what who is dealing what today. It's a shop floor management, yeah? very a very flexible, uh, instant, uh, engaging way of communicating with. With, with the workers, the employees uh, in, a, in a production, on a production side. Right. Let's leave it to that. Okay. It's a kind of, it's a, we could also say it's a part of a management uh, technique. So uh, let's say there is a company that thinks of, um, can we, should we do this? Is that a good idea to implement shop floor management? So what they do is they do a pilot study. So in one plant, they say, okay, here we have, we have, we have um, three shifts, let's say. Uh, it's, the, it's a morning shift, it's the, um, it's the afternoon, evening shift, and then we have the night shift. And now we want to do the following. In one shift, we say we don't do any shop floor management. Okay, none. In, this, in, the, in the afternoon shift, they say, let's have a voluntary shop floor management. They, we just tell the people, you can do it, but also you can leave it. it just, Think of it, recommendation, it's up to you. And in the night shift, they say, you have to do it. Okay, so that's the, the independent variable is the extent to which uh, this shop floor management is mandatory or not, or whether you do it or not. So that's the independent variable. And the dependent variable is the quality of work. Does shop floor management really increase the quality of work, the outcome? Okay, so, and now let's assume the result is that way that in, those in, in the shift where they have no shop floor management, quality is the lowest. While in the shift where there is the voluntary shop floor management, their quality is the highest. Okay, and in the, in the shift where uh, shop floor management is mandatory, it's medium, it's somewhere in between. Can we really say that this difference in, in quality is really due to whether you do it voluntarily or not at all or mandatory? No, you can't. Why not? Here, the threat to internal validity of selection comes into play. Maybe there is already a difference between the morning shift, the afternoon shift and the night shift. Because maybe these people differ. 
if we can assume that people who voluntarily work on the night shift, these are different people than those who prefer the afternoon shift. Maybe there is already a kind of selection bias. Right? The people differ. And there is no random selection of people to the different uh, conditions. So maybe the effects are due to the differences of the people. Okay. So, I mean, whether you manipulate your independent variable um, and have, uh, let's say, a, a pre-test, post-test design, or you have a longitudinal uh, 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 design where you don't manipulate your independent variable, you, you sometimes have um, you have results, different results over time. You have a series of measures, a long-term study, kind of longitudinal, right? So, and um, you know. When you just compare two measurement points in this sequence, and let's say between these two measurement points, you have you might have uh, an experimental treatment. When can you really say that there is really an effect? It's 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 hard to say. Sometimes we have random effects because that's that refers to what we just have described. But statistical regression, there is a natural change. Sometimes you have effect between first and second observation because there is a constant change overall, right? And, and when, when there is a constant change overall over years, things get better over years, and you just compare two measuring points at two different points of time, of course you have an increase from this point to one point, yeah? No? Sometimes you have just a short-term effect and then it goes back down. That's, uh, sometimes you have a sustainable effect. It's, it's very important to, to also on a long term to, to, to look at the different uh, changes and things. So it's very all often a good idea when it comes to interpreting the results in, uh, in, in any research design that you understand that the independent variable and the dependent variable they are always embedded in a greater system. And also there was a time before your study. <laughs> you might also consider. So what I want you to take home is don't be naive. Yeah, don't be naive. Uh, use your intellectual power to challenge what you find. And above all, don't believe when you find any kind of effect that the effect was really because your hypothesis was so true. Very often you find effects, positive effects, effects that you celebrate um, that might support your hypothesis, but uh, not because your hypothesis is true, but because things are as they are. There are a lot of effects around, okay? So I would like to leave it to this about research design. It was a longer chapter, but I think it was worth so in the next episode, we're going to talk about another very interesting field. We're going to talk about sampling. Okay, so thanks for listening. Thanks for watching and see you then.